Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Have a seat, everyone, and thanks for doing that. Thanks, team, for leading us. Hey, I, I want to say one quick thing uh, as we begin this morning. You know, as I'm listening to the announcements, I'm so grateful of the different things that our church is doing, and, you know, and sometimes you hear, thanks, guys, uh, and sometimes you hear in the announcements, like, you know, for young adults or for women or, or for our kids, you know, there, there's things for different groups in our church, and that's, that's wonderful. You know, some of you are like, I wish I was still a young adult. You are not, Okay. So there's all these things, but I want to tell you about something that all of us get to participate in in our church, and that's practicing generosity towards what God's doing here. And for some of you, maybe that's new or, or different and, and kind of strange, but if you love the 180, and if you believe in what the 180 is about and what we're doing and our commitment to this community, to the next generation, we, we're going to ask you to really think carefully about how you can continue to support the church financially. You know, we're in a few weeks before the end of the year, and it's really important for our church as we come to the end of the year that we kind of have a strong uh, kind of just commitment to giving together. We're doing this together, right? And I don't know about you, in the mail already at my house and on my phone, I'm already getting all these trinkets of things I should buy for my kids, you know? Buy your kid a hovercraft. Buy your kid. I'm like, oh my goodness. And it's easy to get swallowed up in all these things we should, we should buy and enjoy, which are all good things, and forget that we should also see our resources as something we commit to the work of God. So we don't say this often, but every so often we want to remind you that nothing would happen here were it not for the generosity of people who are here, many of you watching online who give faithfully. So I want to say thank you, and if you want to give, just go to our website. There's a give link there, multiple ways that you can give to support what the church is about and what we're doing. And you'd be surprised, you know, when we start to give in this way, God provides in ways we never imagined. He provides more than we could have ever imagined. And he has done that in my life, and he's done that in your life, so I encourage you to give. But I'm so excited to continue in a series that we took a little pause from last week to have a special morning focused on, on our First Nations people and, and thinking about the church in that context. If you're watching online and you missed that, uh, you know, you can go back and watch that on YouTube. And if you're watching from Ambrose House, we're really, really grateful. Many of you know this. Just some young adults who are downtown Montreal who, who watch... Uh, you know, are teaching and then gather together in groups and, and learn and talk and let God stir their conversations as they grow. But we've been in a series on the book of 1 Corinthians. And, and if, you know, you're not sure where that, that is, I thought this is a good morning maybe to kind of remind you where we've been. You know, if you have a Bible, you know this, but 1 Corinthians is part of two letters that we have in our Bible in the New Testament. If you're a visual learner, this might help you to know that. Uh, some of you I know, you know where 1 Corinthians is in your Bible, but you never read it. Shame on you, okay? So, uh, it's just a joke. It's just fun. Okay, uh, but it's not, not a joke. Uh, so, 1 and 2 Corinthians are two letters that we get to look at and learn from to hear about how God was stretching His church at the beginning of the story of Christianity. And this is a church that is kind of working out very difficult questions in a region called Corinth. Okay? And we've been together reading this letter to the First Corinthians to ask God to help us to learn from the mistakes that other Christians have made. Some of those are mistakes. Some of those are challenges. Some of those are just struggles that they have. All good stuff, you know, that we can learn from. And for some of you, maybe, you know, it's hard to do that or you're like, you know what, if I open up my Bible, I might not know what to do with First Corinthians. Like, do I read it all? Do I read a section? And especially if you get to a section we're going to look at this morning, which is a section on like, meat sacrificed to idols, and the idea of submission, you might quickly be like, nah, I'm not reading this today. Back to Netflix, whatever. We're all tempted to not spend just a bit of time just waiting and reading and saying, God, you have something to teach me. And actually this morning, what I want to talk about is a difficult topic that has to do with submission. 
Okay, I, I was thinking of a, a flashy title for my sermon. Nothing came to me. So that's what I called it. The submission issue. Submission is such a tricky word to talk about. Because whenever we think of submission in our culture, we have all these ideas of like either a negative pressure or power or control or years of people using their authority to, to hurt other people. How many of you have had a conversation or, or think about this? We, we know this. Right? And then you're, you're reading your Bible and you get to this section and so you have to talk about submission and you're like, how do we understand this in a biblical way? How do we go back to this topic and make sense of it while we know in our world the word submission doesn't always like land in a nice way. So to help us with this, I want to, if you're in your home groups, you'll see this to help you think about this. I want to talk about submission in three ways, okay, so that you understand, okay? So if you're taking notes, you want to write this down so you can see kind of a big picture. The first thing I want to tell you about is that in this letter to the first Corinthians, Paul talks about submission with an assumption that we have all learned or are learning to submit to Jesus, Okay? So I want you to think of the first idea of submission as a submission that you learn when you experience conversion, when you experience saying yes to God. Anybody who says yes to Jesus, anybody who decides, I want to live the life that Jesus calls us to live because he's really God, anybody who gets there realizes that they must at some point submit to him. And that their way of life and their values and what they want have to be set aside Sometimes you have to die to those things, and you have to submit to Jesus. So I want to begin by just helping you understand that idea of submission. We're then going to talk about submission in the context of a covenant, because marriage stuff comes up, and if you're married or you're hoping you find someone to marry, it's a good one. It's a good, good one to think about. And the last one is the idea of submission when you have conflict. None of us have conflict in our lives, so this part's going to feel boring. Don't worry. So the first one is, what does it mean to think about submission in the context of saying yes to Jesus? This is one of the most beautiful, difficult, important moments in our life. When we decide and we realize that, that the way we're living our life is not aligned with the ways and the things that God is calling us to do. And so we have all kinds of words for this in the Bible. We have like being born again. We have being a Christian. We have, you know, dedicating your life to the Lord. We have all these kind of words. And if you've heard those words over time, they tend to mean nothing to people. They're just like, what does that even mean? So maybe what we want to understand is that one of the things that we all have to learn how to do is keep coming back to the fact that Jesus is calling you and me to regularly submit our lives to his way of life, okay? And, and that happens kind of in a moment, but it also is like a whole like life thing, like a life journey, like forever. You're learning to submit. Now, this is so important because once you do that, the other parts of submission flow out of that first submission, okay? If you've never submitted to Jesus, sometimes you can feel that the word even submission always has a negative spin, it's not like, oh, that's so beautiful to submit. I've been doing my whole life. I've been learning what it means to not live for myself, to not live for just what I want, to not think that God exists to make my life great, right? Because I've submitted my life to following Jesus. That comes with great joy, and it also comes at times with great struggles and sacrifice and pain and frustration. And so there's this sense that we have to learn to submit. Now, I want to help you think about the idea of submission in the Bible before I go on in a way that's very different than how we're used to the word. Almost everyone in the room knows that when you hear the word submission, you usually think of someone who's in power over someone else. Fair? Usually you think of submission as you're called to the principal's office and you're like, hey, I'm going to be in trouble, right? And so submission becomes something you can do because someone's forcing you to do it, right? I know a lot of times in my life where I submit to things somebody says, but I don't believe in those things. I don't even care about those things. I don't even care about the people who are asking me to submit. I just do it so they would shut up. Anyone? If you have kids, you know that principle, right? And all the parents are like, amen, this is going to preach. Preach, preacher, right? Parents, all asleep. Okay, moving along. <laughs> There's a sense that our kids learn that they submit, but they don't always get it. They submit because they're feeling what it's like to feel submission from a person in authority and a person of power who tells them, you're going to do these things. And if you don't do them, you're going to get it. And depending on your culture, get it means a lot of different things. <laughs> That's a whole other class, not this morning. 
right? Because even this is important. Cultures have ways that they interpret submission. In some cultures, submission is you keep quiet. In other cultures, submission is like, you know, you do whatever the person says and you go over and above what they said. All these ideas are part of how we think about submission. And so just to help you understand how hard this is for us to think about, is I want you to write this down if you're writing anything down. That whenever we learn about submission in the Bible, we're always invited to first understand that Jesus himself submitted himself to the Father. Okay? Right away, that corrects everything in our culture that we think about submission. Because we're like, wait a second. So did Jesus do something that he didn't want to do? No. Did Jesus, was Jesus forced to come and live with a bunch of humanoids? No. That there's a part of submission in the Bible that's a response to a loving God that says, you need to live and do this now. And what's so important, you ready for this? That as Jesus submits to the Father, he never stops being equal to the Father. When you get this moment in your head, you should have a moment right now that you're like, oh my goodness, that's insane. Remember that Jesus will model what it's like to submit to the Father without ever stopping to be equal with the Father. You have to know that as we continue to learn about submission. That there's a kind of submission that's a mutual submission that does not mean a person of power is controlling from the top down. There's this kind of submission that happens, and and if you understood Greek or understood the the word submission a little bit deeper, the word submission sometimes means to put, put things in their proper order. It doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It's just that they follow a certain order. I was trying to think of a, a cool like, illustration for this, and I didn't get one at all. But I came up with an idea that I think is really corny and might not work, and I'm going to use it anyway. Okay? I, I just think about, like, you know, you have people in your life that love cooking, they love baking, they like making stuff. Anyone? Married to somebody who's good at desserts? Yeah? Not me. Not me at all. So if you make good desserts, drop some off at our house. I love you, hon. Okay, so, so when you're making stuff, you know that if you're baking, because I know much about this, right? Remember, this illustration is super sketchy. It's going to fall apart in one minute, <laughs> okay? Is that you, you have to put things in a certain order. You got to put the milk. You got to put the flour. Or the eggs got to go now. You know, if you're watching, you're following that order. At no point in the recipe do you think the eggs are going to feel they're not equal to the milk because they went in last. They're not going to feel it. It's a corny illustration. It doesn't work. <laughs> Let's pray and go home right now. It's, none of this is going to work today. You had to, that, that was going to hold it all together. But you know what I mean? There's an ordering to things, but they're not seen as like, oh, that means that's more important and less important. Not at all. You have to understand submission. The Bible and the things that Paul is going to talk about in this letter assumes that you understand that. Or else, everything we're going to say next, we, you and I, will hear it as submission as someone in control. Someone telling me what to do. Someone in power trying to force me to do something I don't want to do. And let me tell you, the church for hundreds of years has done that to people. Controlled people, hurt people. Made them feel like that they were less, less human. Less, image, less made in the image of God. And so we have to own that. But we own it not only by saying we don't want to do that anymore, but we own it by correcting faulty ways of understanding submission. So the first idea of submission is that when we submit to God, we submit to God knowing that Jesus says, it's going to be the way you go forward now because I have modeled for you what it's like to submit myself to the authority of the Father. And I did that in such a way that you would know how much I love you and that you would never think that at any point in that submission, I am anything less than God in that moment. Never. To believe that is to not be a Christian. But Jesus submits and remains equal. To the Father. And, and Paul, who's writing this letter to the first Corinthians, he's wrestling with this and he says, you know what, the more I think about this idea, the more I realize that this idea of Jesus submitting to the Father should shape everything about how I live this life. That means I should be ready to submit to things around me that would help other people fall in love with Jesus as well. This is what he says as he develops this idea of submission. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, that's pretty powerful language, to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul's like, not only have I submitted to Jesus, 
Not only, and I'm like, this is the best way to live. Like, why wouldn't you submit to Jesus? He has all authority in heaven. He has the power you need, the peace. Why wouldn't you submit to him? But now that I get that, I'm looking for ways to even submit myself in certain places so that other people would know that they have a place in God's family. You know, I grew up learning so many weird things about God and the church and Christianity. Uh, I remember one of, the, one of the biggest things that I struggled with when I was really, really young, I always thought that people who are serious about God always wear a suit. It sounds weird, but I went to a church where everybody always had a suit on, right? Like in a tie, and, and by the way, I think that's nice. If you want to wear a suit, amen. We love suits, right? I, I'm not saying, but for me, because no one helped me, I just thought all like serious people who teach from the Bible always have a suit and a tie. And I think like to get to that level, you got to buy a suit and a tie. And I was really young and I was like, I don't know, nobody's like helping me work this out. So you can see how easily over time certain things in our culture start to fuel like how we think about being a Christian and saying yes to God. Think about today. The kinds of things people maybe believe that they have to get all together before they can say yes to Jesus. Think about people that you know, that I know, our kids, our neighbors, who are like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure I believe everything in the Bible, but when I do, I'll come to church. That's never going to happen. I preach from the Bible and I have moments where I'm like, what does this even mean? I need an illustration about baking. Anyway, you, you know the, the point that we have all of these hurdles that people are like, if only I could do then, I'll do that. If only my life was perfect. If only I wasn't divorced. If only I had my life together. If only I had my fine. That is a lie of the devil. There will never be an if only. All of us are broken here. All of us are learning. Some of us are further along, and some of us have grown more than others. But there's a sense that for so many people, they feel like they're so far from God's reach, from God's love, from God's peace, from God's goodness. And Paul in Corinthians says, oh, no, no, wait a second. I realized that I practiced a way of submitting even my own desires, my own authority to put myself in places so I could be close to people who might not understand God's love yet. If you put the passage back up, just think about like how profound this is. Just give me that passage again. Though I'm free, I could do whatever I want. You know, and we, we don't have a problem with that. We know how to do that. I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means, just some of them, some of them might see that the story of Jesus, blessed assurance, Jesus can be theirs. How do you become this kind of person? How do you learn this kind of selfless way of life? Like, I get mad at my kids when they don't want to watch what I want to watch on TV. I can't even submit the remote control. I can't even submit like a little thing if, you know, somebody says this. I'm like, no, we're going to do this because I'm the pastor. <laughs> yeah. You felt that? It doesn't, doesn't work. Oh, thanks, brother. Uh, you know, we have all these ideas and we're told in our culture, you deserve that. You're the lead. You're in charge. Then you read Paul and you're like, how do you do this? You become a person who remembers that Jesus submitted himself and modeled this selfless way of life to leave the throne of heaven to come and be among us. And so Paul's like, it's not kind of that hard. You need to get this. Can we decide to be people that would start to be careful about using our rights? We have the right, our preferences, what we want, what we like to make us lose the bigger picture. Paul's like, the bigger picture is that some would see that only Jesus is worth submitting your life to. Some would see that by how you come and you listen and you journey and you walk with them. And they might be far away. They might have weird ideas. They might believe strange things about God and all kinds of things. It's everywhere. But yeah, it's okay. Paul's teaching this to this church that's struggling with this. They're struggling and they're fighting and they're arguing and they've decided like a good marriage that we're going to see who's in charge in this marriage. We're going to see. And if you don't like it, you can take the door. Yeah, you ever see any of those marriage conflicts? They're good. Some of you have any of those? You know, some of you, you've heard it or you've said it. You don't like this? The door is there. It sounds so good. And then like, that's so nonsense. Who? Jesus calls us to 
listen to this place of healing and submission and wholeness. And at one point in the story of the Corinthians, if you read, the story, if you read through the letter and hopefully you've read through it, there's a, a conflict that's so intense that Christians are even suing one another in court. Whoa, that's, that's spicy. That's high level. That's high level of no submission. I'm not submitting and you're not submitting. I'm taking you to court. In chapter 6, this is what Paul says as he's talking to them. Is it possible that nobody among you is wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of people who don't believe? This is amazing. This is so practical. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, this is very different than times when the court systems that we have are helpful and needed. You know, I'm not saying, like, this is a rule. You never have to do uh, that. Don't, you misunderstand that. But he's saying, this situations that I'm hearing about, you should have had some wisdom in your midst to navigate this yourself. One of the most disappointing things I have felt as a pastor is when I meet people who lack the judgment to navigate something that by now in their faith, they should be able to work out themselves. They should. This doesn't happen by mistake. This doesn't happen because you woke up and you became wise. This doesn't even happen because you're old. Because I've met old people that are the most ignorant people you'll ever meet. Wisdom is something you grow into and the Spirit of God confirms that as you trust God in your life. You can get experience as you get old, but many people grow old and never grow up. And Paul is saying, in your church, there wasn't somebody who was wise enough to say, hey, 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 let's, let's go back to submission. Let's, let's go back to talking about this together. Let's resolve this. Maybe there's a way. Before people who don't believe in Jesus, before people who don't even understand submission, see us acting so inappropriately. It sounds so practical that this was written like thousands of years ago and it's still so raw and real for us today. And then Paul's like, okay, there's these outside issues and I got to write to you about this and I want you to think about that people are watching how you live. People are watching how you and I live every day. And what well, Paul didn't know then, that somebody would invent something called the internet. And not only do people watch how we live when they're close to us, now they can watch all of our lives on the internet all the time. Do you know the kind of discipline it's going to take? The kind of wisdom it's going to take for us to be careful how we present, act, respond online, in a digital world? Paul's like, remember, like, when you want to say something, when you have an opinion, when you want to get somebody or prove that they're wrong, remember, remember, oh, you are the one who has submitted to Jesus. You are one who's learning what it means to live under the submission of a God who loves you and is encouraging you sometimes to be kind. You know, one of the greatest things we can do in life is to just be quiet. Just be quiet. Everybody doesn't have to hear your opinion or mine. They have to know everything. You're not going to solve it all. Wisdom comes from being those who are like submission in this moment of conversion. And now I want to just show you how Paul's going to say, let's go just a bit further because I hear that some of you are having problems with your marriage. That's what he's going to talk about now. He's going to talk about submission in the context of this covenant relationship that people have together. And he's going to say, I want to tell you some important things about what it means that Jesus wants you to have a life-giving marriage. Now, before I read next, what's next, I know that for many of us, when we hear of marriage, we think of a broken marriage. We, hear, we think of divorce. We think of separation. We think of all kinds of betrayal. None of that is new. Paul is aware of that. But I want to show you that at one point, he starts to talk to them about understanding submission in a way they would have never heard it before. That's what he says to people who are in the church. And, and he says, this is what you wrote to me about. You see up there the first, if you have your Bible or if you're taking notes, if you're in a home group, you want to pay attention to this. This is Paul answering questions that this church has asked to him. So he's saying, now for the matters that you wrote to me about. This means that the church has questions about marriage. They have questions about how they learn to love each other and, you know, submit to one another. This is what he says. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. I'll get to that in a minute. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Wow. You see how crazy this is? Like, like Paul's like saying, hey, if we're going to talk about submission, let's just talk about what you should have understood when you said yes to a person that you've submitted even your bodies, your physical closeness to each other. Now, in the ancient world, this would have been so radical because everybody knew that a man was always ahead of a woman. Even in the culture that the emperor or the leader of the home, especially the great-grandfather of the home, was in charge of everything. There's some cultures that still work that way, right? Some European cultures are that way. If you walk into a room and a grandparent is there, you know, before you even sit down, you're like, better go say hi, or I'm not eating, whatever. There's certain, like, unspoken rules. And Paul's going to say two things here that are so important. One, he's going to say, I don't think it's good for a man not to, uh, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, I want to pause there, okay, because that kind of sounds mean. Like, Paul doesn't care about people being close. He's actually saying that in the context of 1 Corinth, there was a tendency for people to think they could just have relationships with anyone. And there was a real concern, especially if you remember two weeks ago, that people could use their body and be intimate with other people with no commitment to marriage, no commitment to being united, to just like, our bodies don't matter. And he's like, no, no, no. If that's what you think, don't even be with anyone. Don't even be around somebody that you're attracted to. But he's like, but that's not the real goal of this. The goal of this is for us to experience sexuality and intimacy and love and romance in this covenantal space of submission, mutual submission. This mutual submission. Now, this doesn't mean that some people are not, you know, like in our home, we have certain things I do, certain things my wife does, whatever. But he's saying, I want you to understand that once you say yes to each other, there is a submission that is so beautiful that you almost see yourself like belonging to the other person. Or, you know, or, or, the, or vice versa. You know, I use this with my wife when only, there's only a little bit of ice cream left. I'm like, hon, we're one, so I'm going to eat the ice cream. And you'll feel it later because we're, we're together. Don't worry. It's in the Bible. I'm going to let me read 1 Corinthians 2. If ever there's half a bag of chips, try that. Half a bag of chips, I'm going to eat it. Our bodies are one. You'll feel full as I eat. Amen. <laughs> Some of you are like, write, write that down. That's important. Write that down. Don't write that down. That's ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> but it's this, it's this beautiful reminder. Like, we don't even have a word for this except, wait a second, Jesus submitted to the Father, and He remains equal to the Father. We submit to each other, and we remain equal to each other. But that doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Who, I want to know who's in charge. This happens all the time. Like, I want to know how it's going to work. I was like, no, 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 no. And, and just to go a bit further, I, I don't want to go too far. He, he then says, but what about with people who are married or with somebody who's not someone who loves Jesus? What, what if you have someone who's following God and someone who doesn't believe in God, then what do you do? And he talks about that. We won't get into it because it gets, he works it out, but you should read 1 Corinthians. You should read it because these are real issues. They're not like old issues. They're now issues. And if you want a picture of how beautiful this is, just remember that Paul says, like, this is even bigger than just marriage. I think of many of you in the room, you're like, I'm not married. I never want to get married and I don't even like married people. Amen. In another letter, this is what Paul says. He brings back submission again. He says this. Just go to the slide, the next slide there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is another letter. It's not Corinthians, it's Ephesians, still Paul. He says, if you're struggling for submission and you're not married, just think of submission as even just submitting to each other, more in marriage, but to just each other because you understand that Jesus modeled this. And you love Jesus. And you want to practice that. Now, all submission is not clean. I've been a pastor long enough to be with people who thought they were experiencing mutual submission and one person was hurting the other person. Paul knows that. Paul knows that we're not perfect people who always see one another like, oh, you know, we're equal, I love you, it's amazing, blah, blah, blah. He knows, he knows that. That's why he doesn't make our relationship the center of submission. He makes Jesus the center of submission. He makes Jesus the reference for why we submit. Because me and you have no problem submitting to anyone that we like. You, you know? You know at work when you have a good boss? 
You're like, I'll stay overtime. Oh, I love this. Oh, I love it. I, I love working with you. I'm staying extra. I'm working. Submission works great when you like a person. You love to submit more. But when you don't like them, you're like, oh, let me tell you, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm taking a long lunch today. It's a long lunch. I can't work with this person. We love submission when it works for us. That's why Paul doesn't make the argument that way. He says submission is not because you like the person, you agree with the person, or you're growing at the same rate as the person. Submission is because of Jesus. And because of that submission, pay attention to times where you should submit to each other in your covenant of marriage. If you're married here, you're struggling in your marriage, can I just say one thing and then I'm going to move on? We need you to keep working on your marriage. We need you to keep committed to growing in your marriage. Your kids in the next generation in this world who see division, quitting, walking away whenever something is hard, they will need to see models of people who really love each other and work to stay married. And we can't do this just on our own strength. Counseling alone will not fix this. Counseling is helpful. That's it's great. But we also need a picture of this mutual submission to Jesus and to each other. Say, God, help us. Help us to grow closer. Help us to understand. Help us to communicate. And I know many of you, and I've been with many of you in your homes, and we've prayed, and I'm so proud of you. When you could have quit, you did not. When you had a hurdle, and you're like, you know, my parents modeled that marriage wasn't important, so I'm going to do it's not important. No, 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 no. Because we've submitted to Jesus. We now enter this new relationship with a picture of wanting to submit to one another. You read on in this chapter. Paul's also going to talk about the divorce piece and what do you do with that. And it's, it's, it's big and I'm not going to get into it. But the last part, you remember? Submission in your conversion, submission in your covenant, and submission in conflict. The church in Corinth has a particular conflict that they're dealing with. And I think this is a conflict that applies to every one of us in different ways. Now, I want to read the conflict that Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians, and I want you to feel in your body while I'm reading when you stop listening to me. Okay, ready? Just take a moment when you hear yourself being like, this doesn't apply to me. This is ridiculous. What are we doing? When do we go home? He says this. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. I don't know about you, but I rarely talk to people who are wrestling with whether we should eat certain meats or not. So you read this and you're like, what do we do with this? Like, do we really need this in the Bible? I want to explain to you that this section of the Bible, if you want a comparison for what it means today, would be equal to us telling people that they can't go to a restaurant. Imagine you meeting somebody and you say to them, hey, if you're a Christian now, you shouldn't go to restaurants anymore. You'd be like, well, what do you mean? Why? Because in the ancient world, meat and these types of meals around meat was connected to a part of the temple that always had to do with sacrificing the food to an idol before it was brought for people to buy. Now, the only little example we get of this in our culture is when you go buy meat, if you ever see in the grocery store, there's a section in the grocery store that's called halal, right? It's a certain way that that meat is prepared, right? Depending on the custom of culture or religion. So we have a little bit of that. But in the Bible, Paul knows that many of these Christians are fighting because they're disagreeing on whether it's okay to eat the meat that is sacrificed to an idol in the temple and then it's brought out. And the temple has like these rooms. You know when your kids want to do a birthday and you take them to the movie theater and you rent one of those little rooms to do a birthday party, right? You know, what do they call it? Like just, you could just book the room and order your own food. Think of the temples of these gods a little bit that way. There was a central place where you brought your sacrifice you as the family brought the sacrifice and you, you, know, you, you cooked the meat. The people who worked in the temple, the priests, they got some of the meat. But what was left was then brought into a room on the side and the family gathered and did their party. 
Now, if you're a Christian, would it be okay to go to one of those parties? Or going to one of those parties, would that mean that you're supporting the temple and the sacrifice to the idols? I bet you if we split this room in half, we'll have a good debate for the next three hours. Let me tell you, my grandfather once went to a temple and then he started to... You have all kinds of stories. Paul's dealing with all of this. He's like, well, I think we shouldn't do that. And somebody's like, well, I think it's fine. The Lord loves us. I think... You're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Paul writes this letter, and he's like, oh my gosh. Should we just pray and go home? As I was praying about this, I'm like, let me make a list of the things I've heard Christians fight about over the years that would make them say to other Christians that are not like them that they don't do the wrong thing, they don't belong, they shouldn't be here, right? Now you have your own list. My list had 78 things, but I made it shorter. I had a big list. So I just put some of my favorites. Okay, just go to the list. I think it's there. Just back one slide. There we go, okay? If you're a Christian, you should not dance. How many of you are at the dancing club? No dancing for Christians. No Macarena for Christians. Some of you are like, what is that? Okay, whatever. Christians should not do yoga. No alcohol. No alcohol. No music. When I was young, music was really tricky because the wrong music with the flipped record got all kinds of spirits in your house. Nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> I don't even know. There's still spirits in my old house. So we don't even know. We, we burned that house down. Okay. <laughs> Some of you online, no comments. Okay. Uh, other things that you would write. Like, what things can you think of? If you do this, if you look, you have to look a certain way. No caps during worship. <clears throat> We have all these things. Now, can I teach you a new word today before we kind of wrap up? It's a new word. The word is adiaphoria. Adiaphoria. How many of you have ever heard that word before? No one? Some of you maybe? Okay. Diaphoria is the Greek word that Paul is going to use to say, you need to learn that some things you are concerned about are secondary issues when you're dealing with each other in conflict. You need to learn that some things that are very, very important to you, it's okay if they're not important to someone else. And you, because you're learning to submit to Jesus together, should decide about being wise, not making someone else who struggles be confused about this. This is such an important thing in our world that says, no, 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 who cares what other people think? If you don't look like me, you're not a real Christian. If you don't act like me, you're not in. You're out. You know what that's called when we do that? It's called to be a sect, to be a cult. A cult pushes everyone out who doesn't look the same. We're called a church. They're different. A church is a place where we understand that there's essential things that hold the center, that Jesus is Lord and we all submit to Him. And then there's secondary things that are part of the, out, the, on the outside of that that we have to sometimes disagree about, struggle with. And you know one of the things I've learned in my life, maybe, maybe this is you, maybe I'll help you. So many things that I thought were so important when I was in my 20s stopped being important in my 30s. And I was willing to, I mean, just blame everybody for everything. Oh, it's everybody, all kinds of things. I remember when I was like learning to be a pastor, I took a course on world religions. It was one of the best courses I ever took. And as part of this course, we went to these different religious buildings, like to a temple, a Hindu temple, a Buddhist temple, a synagogue, a mosque. We went to, to these different places. And in one of those temples, I remember, people brought food and gave it to the idol of the, in that temple. They poured milk on it. They rubbed it. They left meat there. They brought things. And, and it was really strange because I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. This is very weird. I don't know what to do. Like, it smells weird, but it smells good. And we had to take off our shoes and I was like, this is being blasted with questions. And I remember I was so afraid to tell anyone that I knew that I went to that. Because they'd be like, you did, you're a Christian and you went there? Wow. Where I realized I was trying to learn and think about this and grow. And, and that didn't mean I agreed with it. That didn't mean I was support. But, but I was trying to make sense of that. We are living in a time where more and more people will be confused about what it means to go to church. Forget about sacrificing food to an idol. And we're going to have to make room for people to come and be with us and among us and see certain things. But what they should see most is that we love each other when we have a conflict. 
that we're learning what it means to disagree on secondary issues in a way that honors Jesus. And in a way that gives you and me a chance to grow up and to change our opinion about certain things. I used to believe this, and now, you know, as I read this passage of Scripture, I'm thinking about it in a new way. And I know for some people that's so hard. You know why it's so hard? Because our whole lives we learn that church is the place where you go where people tell you what to do. You go to church and the pastor tells you, do this and don't do that. Black, white, in, out, good, bad. The whole people, that's people's world of the church. And then you know what happens? They go into real life. And they're like, okay, what do I do about this? Like, is it okay to date a robot? Uh, dating a robot, okay, that's going to be hard. I don't know, there's no, there's, no verse, <laughs> there's no verse for that one. Like, there's all these questions, like, what do we do about the complexity of the world and how we interact with people? If you've learned that the story of Jesus is just in and out, your Christianity, will f- it'll fizzle in no time. And you wonder why our kids can't go to university and have a dialogue and say, no, no, we know the essentials of our faith. We know the secondary issues of our faith. Let's talk. You wonder why? Because they've been raised in a church where everything is like, do that, don't do that, and if you, somebody sees you doing it wrong, you're dead. I want to be honest. This is not easy stuff, but it's in the Bible. Because the Bible is about real life, not about gimmicks and ideas that are silly. For years, I worked at a church in Ontario. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. But I worked at a church in Ontario, and I struggled with something that I always think when I think of this passage. Is that as I worked in this church, I remember at times meeting people in our church who struggled with alcohol use. They were either alcoholics, struggling with substance abuse, all kinds of things. And next to the church was a sack, LCBO in Ontario, okay? Now, so I would always think, okay, I would love a glass of wine once in a while. Like, I don't struggle with alcohol. The Bible says alcohol in moderation can be good, all these things. But I always had this moment that I'm like, what if, if I go into that sack and one of the brothers or sisters who shared with me that they struggle with this sees me? And they'll think, well, the pastor drinks. I think this is great. Like, anybody can drink. And Paul uses a similar argument to me. Well, when you're with somebody who shares from a vulnerable place that they're struggling with something, although you might have the right to do things because you are in Christ and you, you are obedient and that specific thing is not in conflict with where you're at, right? Still, submit to the bigger purpose and do not do what you have the right to do. Do not do what is right for you to do, but wrong at this moment. He's going to say that. You know, many people hear that and they're like, no, wait, not me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. When I hear people talk this way, I'm thinking, this is like people in the world talk like this. I thought we were Christians. Paul says, if you want people to understand the goodness that is available to them when they submit to Jesus you're going to have to deal with these kinds of conflicts. You're going to have to be sensitive and say, okay, I have every right to do that. It doesn't hurt me if I do whatever that is. Dancing, music, it's fine. But if someone else maybe sees that and misunderstands it, they'll struggle. So let me be sensitive here. And I don't know what sensitive means. You know, sensitive could have been for me to go to that brother and sister that is struggling and say, listen, every so often... When I have a tense meeting at the church with someone who's crazy, I'm going to stop at the sack before I go home and buy a bottle of wine. Some of you got that. Some of you are like, is this how, what? It's crazy people in the church. Like, I might do that. So if you see me, I don't want you to stumble, but I'm going to do that. Is that okay? Maybe that's what it looks like. Or maybe in my case, I decided to abstain completely from drinking alcohol and going there ever. I just, it wasn't because I was super, I was better, I'm amazing. No, no, no. It's because I read the Bible. And I live the Bible, and we're doing that together. How many things maybe this season you would say, if I would just say, I got I to put that aside. How many homes would be healed if people this Christmas decided that they would submit to someone they've been fighting with for 10 years? How many marriages would begin to be healed if we say, hey, hey I need to practice submitting and to loving you in a deeper way. Can we do that together and work at this together? Do you know how many things we would experience about the joy of learning what it's like to disagree and to still say, God, this is my brother and sister. And one day, I'm going to give an account to you for how this interaction worked. 1 Corinthians 
Submission to Jesus. Submission to the special relationship of marriage. Submission in the conflicts. So important. So important for us. I'm going to invite you to stand. I asked the, the band to, to lead us in the song we sang earlier, that this is my story, this is my song. And I want to tell you before we sing the song, the one line in the song that I really don't like. So I hope that every time we sing it again, you'll remember the line. It's the line that says that Jesus is mine. Jesus is never just mine or yours. Jesus is the head of the church, his body. And I know what the song means. It means that you can have a personal encounter with Jesus. And we believe that. But anybody who met Jesus and said yes to Jesus and his story soon met annoying people. People that you and I would have hated, been embarrassed to be around, annoying, talked too much. Because Jesus would have taught them how to love each other even when they disagreed. So if you've said yes to Jesus and his story, one of the next steps is to say, God, what area in my life needs a new focus on submission? What area in my life needs you to be the center so that other people would know that you are the only one putting their trust in? What area of my life? Let's sing the song before I pray. pray for us and uh, before I pray I just want to say something that's really important 
If you're in a relationship with someone where it's not safe, and you're experiencing violence or pain, submission doesn't apply to that. Submission is not a catchphrase where people can hurt and abuse other people. And for too long, we've let that happen. And we need to correct that, but that's unacceptable. We want you to know it's a safe place to talk to someone, to pray with someone. But we have to do that by also learning what real submission looks like in the Bible. And we have to hold those together. Jesus taught us what it was like to trust the Father in the most painful situation. So as we pray now, we ask Jesus to help us again, to give us wisdom to know what real submission looks like. But remember, it's not a word that we use in a flippant way that covers over real abuse and real violence and real things that are happening. That's not the way of Jesus. So let's just pray before we close. Father, we thank you for being with us today. How you would take these few hours together and use them to draw us closer. We ask that you would, by the power of the Spirit, stir in us a commitment to a deep, loving, mutual submission, whether in our marriages, whether with our kids, whether with a friend. Help us to know that you have wisdom for us when we are stuck, when we are not sure what submission even looks like, but we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word and how it still speaks to us today in a living way. It still touches the issues that we need to pay attention to in our lives. I pray for anyone listening online or here in this room who maybe needs to recommit to submitting to you as Lord. Would you help them to know that the greatest decision they will ever make is to submit their life to you, Jesus? Because you are kind and loving and good and patient and gracious. Many of us have tasted of this. So Jesus, would you just stir in us a new vision of what it means to be people who do what the Bible teaches us to do. Help us as we go now. May you take us into our week paying attention to the fact that others are watching how we live, how we speak. And they will need us to model a certain kind of submission. Teach us to do that with our kids as well. And in all of this, Jesus, we pray that you, our Lord, would be glorified as we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, love you, friends. Thanks for doing this. If you'd like to pray with somebody, we have our prayer team here. We'd love to pray. Grab your kids. Hey, if there's coffee cups around, you can pick those up and help our clean team or join our clean team. See you soon. God bless.